You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. ...of your relationship with Christ having begun. Uh, communion, the Lord's Supper, the Lord's Table, is a symbol of your continued good standing of fellowship with Jesus Christ in your relationship. They, they both have a picture that they're displaying, and we'll look at that more. So following in that line of thinking, scriptural baptism is observed only once by Christians. It is observed, uh, a scriptural baptism should be observed only once. Because why? Well, we believe that you are saved only once. You get saved one time in your life, and that one time then applies to the rest of your life. You don't lose it, then get saved again, then lose it, then get saved again. We believe in eternal security. We believe that's a scriptural doctrine. So in the same way, though, that baptism is practiced once, scriptural baptism, I should say, is practiced one time by a believer, the Lord's Supper is to be observed repeatedly throughout our lives as a sign of our ongoing and continued relationship with Jesus Christ and his church. So to determine what the Lord's Supper is, I'll try to answer some questions. What are the elements involved? What's the meaning of the supper and who should participate in the supper? So the elements, the meaning, and, participate, and participants. First, we'll look at the elements. Look at Matthew chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26 and beginning in verse 26. And just so, just, just to give you context, I'm sure most of you know this, that this is the, this is the Last Supper. This is the, the night that Jesus Christ uh, was betrayed um, by Judas and taken to the cross. Look at verse 26. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed it and break it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink ye all of it. For this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. But I say unto you, I will not drink henceforth of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And when they had sung in him, they went out into the Mount of Olives. So this is the Last Supper right before Jesus Christ's death, right before his betrayal, right before he's arrested and put on trial and then crucified. But it also serves as a template for the Lord's Supper in the New Testament church. So this, this, is, this was referred to by Paul in 1 Corinthians. This was the pattern. This was the template for the Lord's Supper that the New Testament churches would follow. There are two elements mentioned here, though. We're looking first at the elements. There are two elements. There's the bread that Jesus dis- distributed and, and then what is simply called, we might just call it the cup. He said he took the cup or the fruit of the vine um, in verse 29. The bread, he says, now it's easy because the, he gives us the meaning the bread is a symbol of his body. The, the cup or the fruit of the vine is a symbol of the blood. And obviously we'll start with that. The, that's speaking of the juice. Now let me just say there's, this is, there's no indication in any of the gospel accounts that this was intoxicating wine. And furthermore, we know that Jesus Christ was sinless. And to engage in drinking intoxicating wine or strong drink would be to discard many biblical warnings, which he would never do. So let's just put that to rest. The, the cup contained grape juice. It was not strong drink. 
That's why scriptural observance of the Lord's Supper doesn't use an intoxicating beverage to symbolize the blood of Jesus Christ. It would use a non-alcoholic grape juice because that reflects what Jesus used. It was the fruit of the vine. The other element that is mentioned here, it's part of the supper, is the bread. And, and by the way, this account is also in Mark 14 and in Luke 22 as well. And we might turn to those here in a moment, at least one of those. But in, in the three gospel accounts, Jesus Christ is mentioned not only with the cup, which we know, but breaking the bread for the disciples. And in the gospel passages, admittedly, it does not explicitly say that Jesus used unleavened bread, which... That would, that's tr- traditionally what we use, unleavened bread. And even though the New Testament doesn't specifically say that um, uh, about the bread used in the Lord's Supper, we can be certain it was unleavened bread. And look over in Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22. We'll turn to a few passages here tonight. Luke chapter 22. It, it began reading in, in verse 7. Luke chapter 22, verse 7. It says, then came the day of unleavened bread when the Passover must be killed. And he sent Peter and John saying, go and prepare us the Passover that we may eat. And they said unto him, where wilt thou that we prepare? And he said unto them, behold, when ye are entered into the city, there shall a man meet you bearing a pitcher of water. Follow him into the house where he entereth in. And he shall say unto the goodman of the house, the master saith unto thee, where is the guest chamber where I shall eat the Passover with my disciples? And he shall show you a large upper room furnished. There make ready, and they went and found as he had said unto them, and they made ready the Passover. And then the very next part, the very next passage, in my Bible, it even has the heading, the Lord's Supper, before the very next verse. So this is the account of that Luke gave us of what we just read back over there in Matthew 26. But I want you to notice, though, in verse 7, it, again, it says, Then came the day of unleavened bread. So this is the day of unleavened bread. In Mark 14, it tells us it was the first day of unleavened bread. Exodus 12, 15 gives some instruction here that in the, for that day of unleavened bread, it says, seven days shall ye eat unleavened bread, even the first day ye shall put away leaven out of your houses. So there's no, no leaven even in the house, for whosoever eateth leavened bread from the first day until the seventh day, that so shall be cut off from Israel. So God's law clearly forbids anyone eating leavened bread during this time, during this this feast of unleavened bread or the the first day of unleavened bread. It's a picture of the Exodus when they had no time to let their bread rise. And you, I mean, we we could look in that, but I, I think most of us understand they were escaping Egypt. They didn't have much time. They didn't have time to let the bread rise. And leaven in scripture also is a picture of sin and corruption. So it would, it would not have been used during the Passover. And as a matter of fact, like we already read, the Jews were told to remove leaven even out of their houses. There would not have been leavened bread in the house. Now, I feel like I'm, I'm laboring a point that we don't necessarily need. But I want you to understand why we don't use leavened bread. We use unleavened bread in the Lord's Supper. Because God forbid anyone then to eat leavened bread on that first day, on the day of unleavened bread. We can be certain that the bread Jesus used to institute this ordinance, this Lord's Supper, the Lord's Table, communion, it was in fact unleavened. And the fact then also that it pictures sin 
Uh, we can look at 1 Corinthians chapter 5 when, when there were those in the church there at Corinth um, who were involved in fornication and adultery and, and Paul equates that to leaven and he says basically remove the leaven, a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump and take that leaven out. That's, that's the picture. It's also there in Galatians 5, a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump and that really does give us confidence then in the use of unleavened bread for communion. And you say, well, I'm not sure why you go to that point. Well, I want you to know why we do what we do. I think it's important that we understand why we do what we do. So the two elements of the Lord's Supper, they're unleavened bread and the fruit of the cup or the fruit of the vine or the cup, uh, which would be grape juice. Those are the elements. So what's the meaning? Well, let me just give you what the Lord's Supper is not. Okay, the Lord's Supper is not the Baptist equivalent of, of a sacrament or, or the Eucharist Holy Communion, or even Mass, which would be uh, terms that other denominations would use, um, we don't believe that, um, that the elements in the Lord's Supper aid in salvation. And there are those that, that do believe that. They, they call it sa- a sacrament. They believe it aids in, sa- in salvation. Um, it's not transubstantiation, which, which some denominations believe, and that's the belief that upon the pronouncement by the priest, then the bread and the wine literally and actually changes in substance to the literal bre- a body and, or flesh and blood of Jesus Christ. They believe it's transubstantiation is what they, the term that would be called, and, and yet we don't believe that teaching is scriptural. Uh, Jesus was speaking metaphorically, not literally, and the one way that we know that is Hebrews 1 says that Jesus Christ, his body, I mean, we know that he died, literally, his body uh, was placed on a cross, he was buried um, there in the tomb, his body literally rose from the dead, and his body was on earth for uh, a while, um, then was ascended into heaven um, in Acts chapter 1, we know that his literal body is in heaven, and Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 says that he is bodily in heaven. That's where he is now. And so we can't then literally be eating his body and flesh on earth. Um, another reason we believe that is that eating literal blood is forbidden by the law in the book of Leviticus chapter 17. And so for then Jesus Christ to institute something that was a big deal in the law from God to his people would go against not just logic, but against scriptural commandment. It's forbidden to eat blood. Um, Christ's sacrifice, here's another reason why we don't believe it was literally his body, literally his, it's supposed to be literally his body and blood, is that his sacrifice was once for all, according to Hebrews chapter 10. One time he died. It is not to be repeated. He doesn't have to be repeated. He died once, and that dying once was enough to save us of all the sins we'd ever commit. Once for all. And so for us then to say that, that his body and his blood would be present physically and literally would be almost to say, akin to saying that he is repeating the sacrifice every time that we take the Lord's Supper. We don't believe that to be true. Another is that Jesus Christ is creator and therefore cannot be created. And in a sense, every time that someone says, if they believe that the, the, the wafer and the, and the wine turn into the body and blood, it's almost like his body is being created and he's creator. He cannot be created. It's also not consubstantiation, which would be more of the Protestant view and that it modifies the thought some. It doesn't say that it literally becomes the body and the blood. Um, but in, even though the elements are changed, they, they do believe the real body and blood of Jesus Christ are, 
are mystically present in the Lord's Supper and that they're both then, in fact, eaten because they're mystically present. Um, But again, scriptural evidence is is hard to find to support that. Uh, It's also not the Christian Passover. Um, That would be more of a covenant theology that, that covenant theology are those, and by the way, be careful of this, because covenant theology would say that, that they would equate Israel and the church. And they would say that the church is the same as Israel and all the promises to Israel are now been, have now been moved to the church. And we don't believe that because we believe that there are dispensations and that Jesus Christ was dealing with Israel for a time. They, they, they rejected him. He set them aside. Now we're in the church age. But he's not done with Israel. Uh, we, have, we have to know that the tribulation is the time of Jacob's trouble. So he will then work with, after he removes the church, he will, remove, he will work with Israel again. He's not done with that. We have not replaced Israel. And it's, that, that really does help in our interpretation. Um, but those with covenant theology would say that things like uh, circumcision um, and baptism are kind of the same. And that, um, that the Passover and the Lord's Supper are the same. And I know a lot of good men who follow the pattern of doing the Lord's Supper once a year. And I, I like that idea. But they're, they're not doing it to say that the Lord's Supper is the new Passover. And, and we be careful of that. Um, they're following more the pattern of the first Lord's Supper, which was done right before Jesus Christ's death. And I, I, again, I do like that idea. And COVID has kind of derailed us in doing it. We're going to be doing it at some time very soon. But, but, and I'll let you know about that. But the Christian Passover, the reason that we don't believe that the Lord's Supper is the Passover is because Jesus Christ is our Passover. 1 Corinthians chapter 5 says Christ is our Passover. He was sacrificed for us. So the fact that he's called our Passover means that the Passover has been done away with. It's been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. He was sacrificed for us and the Passover no longer has to be held. So it's no longer the Passover. Um, Although there are some similarities, it seems we don't celebrate this Passover because Jesus Christ did away with the need for it. Um, it's not a sacrament. It's not a means of receiving grace, as some believe. It's also, the Lord's Supper is also not a potluck. We have potlucks. We like potlucks. We're Baptists. We do that. Um, it's not a fellowship, though. Early churches, um, Paul even rebuked them, and we'll read some of this. Um, they were observing these things they call love feasts, which were church-wide meals, and there's nothing wrong with that if it, if it remains uh, just what it is. It's a meal getting together, but th- those weren't observances of the Lord's Supper. Paul rebuked the church at Corinth for turning the Lord's Supper into that kind of a meal. And, and we'll, again, we're going to read that here in just a minute. You can actually turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and we'll, we'll be reading some of that here in just a moment. So that's what communion is not. Those are the things communion is not. It is not a means of receiving grace. It is not, uh, it is not salvation. It is, it, is, it is not the literal body of Jesus Christ and the literal blood of Jesus Christ. And I think those reasons are, are, are enough for us to believe then just scripturally as we, as we interpret naturally, it becomes apparent. Communion then, what it is, it is a sign uh, well, it is a commemoration of Christ's death. That's the first thing. But it is a sign of our relationship with God through Christ. It is not a means of achieving that relationship. It is a symbol of who we are in Christ. It is not a way for us to be in Christ. It symbolizes who we are. You know, we observe the Lord's Supper in commemoration. It's a memorial service. 
Uh, it, it is us looking at the, as a memorial service at what Jesus Christ did for us. And as Jesus told his disciples in Luke chapter 22, this do in remembrance of me. That's what he said. This is a pattern of remembering what Christ did. And Paul confirms that the supper is to be a memorial. Look at, again, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We'll, we'll read a few of these and skip around, but look at verse 23. It says, For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he brake it and said, this, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. So there's Paul. This is how we know that the pattern there in Matthew 26, that Jesus Christ at the Last Supper, that's how we know he was giving them a pattern for the local churches to continue, because Paul quotes it. When he said, Jesus said, this do in remembrance of me, Paul is quoting that right here. Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. After the same manner, also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, this cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. So when we meet and to observe the Lord's Supper or the Lord's table or communion, we are symbolizing the death of Jesus Christ. And we can't ever forget that that is our primary purpose. We are simply taking time to remember what he did. The broken body symbolizes the breaking of his body and, and, just, and how terrible the cross was. It's a symbol of that. The juice symbolizes the blood that Jesus shed on the cross. And Paul tells us that the purpose of, the, of communion is to show the Lord's death till he come. And, and that's what we're doing every time. That's the point of the ordinance. And, and while it's true that we should take the Lord's Supper together as a church and we should be in unity when we receive the Lord's Supper, it's not really about our unity. And while it's important that we, when we come together and we take the Lord's Supper, that we examine ourselves, it's not really just about self-examination. And, and while it's important and necessary that we understand why we use the elements we use, we can't forget what those elements represent. Every time we come together to observe the Lord's Supper, our minds must be centered on the cross. We must be focused on his death. We are to be showing his death until he comes again. Well, that's why we approach the Lord's Supper uh, with a solemn spirit. Because if you imagine that you were standing there or, or sitting there watching the cross... On that day, it would not be a potluck. It would not be just a celebration. It would not be something that we take lightly and that we don't really think about. We just go, no, if we were standing there or sitting there watching the cross, we would take it very seriously. We would be somber. Our minds would be focused. I, I guarantee you, if you're watching a man die on the cross, your mind would not be elsewhere. It would be all you could think about. It would be your focus. And, and, and if I could, and there's no, there's no scriptural mandate about how often to do it. Obviously, I would have already done it. Um, last year, I had it planned when COVID happened. And, and this year, I'm just trying to figure out how to do it this year. But that's why, one of the reasons why I personally um, don't want to do it too often. Because if you do it too often, I think what can happen, like what's happening in, at Corinth, is that they weren't taking it seriously. It was a, it was a fellowship. It was a potluck. And, and, I, and I don't discredit people that do it more often, um, but I think that you, there's a balance between doing it too much and then it losing some of its luster and you're not taking it so seriously. Because if you imagine that you're watching the death of a man on a cross, 
your mind would not be elsewhere. It would be focused. It would be somber. Now, if you could understand what he was doing on the cross, what Jesus Christ was doing, you also would be thankful. You would be thinking, well, he's doing that for me. I mean, he's literally on that cross bearing my sins and those sins that I've committed, the thoughts that I had today that I shouldn't have had. I mean, he's dying for those. And that's why you take it seriously. It's, it's an, a sober occasion and it points to our forgiveness from his death and his, his blood shed. So one more thing to consider then is if our participation in the Lord's Supper is a symbol of his death, then our condition when we partake should also be a symbol of his death. Meaning that we should not come in and take unworthily. In, in other words, we should receive the Lord's Supper and in that condition we should be dying to ourselves. Cleansed of our sin. And if, if the elements picture Jesus Christ's sinlessness and we come in with unconfessed sin, we come to the Lord's table unworthily. And that leads to the last section tonight. And that is the participants of the Lord's Supper. Look here at 1 Corinthians 11. Verse 17, let's back up. The participants of those should be those that are saved and scripturally baptized and in right standing with their local church. Look at 17. Now in this that I declare unto you, I praise you not, that ye come together not for the better but for the worse. For first of all, when ye come together in the church, I hear that there be divisions among you, and I partly believe it. For there must, also, for there must be also heresies among you, that they which are approved may be made manifest among you. When you come together, therefore, into one place, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in eating, everyone taketh before other his own supper, and one is hungry and another is drunken. What? Have ye not houses to eat and drink in, or despise ye the church of God, and shame them that have not? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I praise you not. So Paul was reprimanding that church at Corinth for two things. First, they weren't unified in their gathering. They, so the Lord's Supper requires a spirit of unity. It requires a spirit of people in a local church being right with each other, by the way. When, when we take the Lord's Supper, we come together in communion. If you have aught with another brother, you better take care of that before you come together. Because Paul was reprimanding the church at Corinth for not being unified when they came together for the Lord's Supper. The, so Christ died so that uh, there was a spirit here of carnality. Christ died so we wouldn't have to be carnal. Christ died so that we wouldn't be operating in our flesh. So why would we celebrate his death with carnality why would we come together and have a spirit of disunity and fleshliness and carnality why would we come walking in the flesh that would be in many ways a slight to to the very sacrifice that we're thinking of but two he was also reprimanding them for using the occasion to engage in a, this a party-like fellowship they were coming together and some were getting together just to eat and they were getting they were eating more than others and some were using it as an occasion uh, for drunkenness they were just getting together and, and Paul reprimands them. This is a, he's saying this is a big deal. You don't just take this lightly. Look at verse 22. We've already read this. Uh, verse 20, uh, 23. For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. We, we already read that. I don't have to read that again. This just recaps the pattern that Jesus Christ laid out for the Lord's table. Look down in verse 27. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. 
But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord, that we should not be condemned with the world. Wherefore, my brethren, when ye come together to eat, tarry one for another. And if any man hunger, let him eat at home, that ye come not together unto condemnation. And the rest will I set in order when I come. That's a serious statement there at the end. It's almost like, just wait till I get home. You ever hear that from your dad? Just wait. Till I get home. When Paul was coming, there was more to set in order, but he's dealing with the Lord's Supper. And to take the Lord's Supper with open and unconfessed sin or unrepentant about your sin is to miss the point completely. It's saying, um, it, let's honor Christ's sacrifice for our sins and therefore come sinless. I know you're not going to come perfect, but if you have things unconfessed in your life and you come and take of the Lord's Supper, you're at odds with a brother. You have a fleshly spirit of carnality. That's not the spirit with which to take the Lord's Supper and the communion. We should examine ourselves or we risk judgment according to this passage. And, and we risk weakness. We risk sickness. There are those he even said that had died because they didn't take this part seriously. This is serious. And when we take communion, we're essentially saying Christ's sacrifice has made forgiveness of sin possible. So we should come to the table with sins confessed. That's why Paul told the Corinthians in chapter 5, purge out the old leaven and of those who are living in sin, don't even eat with them. Meanwhile, if there were those with open and unconfessed sins and unrepentant spirits about it, then they shouldn't engage in the Lord's Supper. It shouldn't be involved in the communion. It's serious to take it unworthily. And these truths are the reason then, you know, that, that we would practice the Lord's table as a local church ordinance. And, and not everyone holds that position that plenty of men I love, plenty of men I respect don't have the same practice. And, and as I say about just about everything, let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind, at least those things that aren't explicitly stated. But my reason for limiting it to the local church is the fact that that certainly feels like the safest position. Uh, the instructions here are given to a local church. And that's the first and primary reason that that would be what I would, I would hold to. And 1 Corinthians is, a, is written to a local church. It was written to the church at Corinth. And, and since there's not other guidelines to have, then we would say, then it seems very obvious these are instructions for a local church. Um, and I don't know how you can say when you come together and be talking about anything other than a local church. And he says, when you come together, when you come together, he's talking to a local church and their involvement. And that would be the, the there's also a level here of, a, of accountability. First uh, Corinthians five, the church is responsible for removing members from fellowship if they were in open sin. And that leads to the, the big reasons that we would be what most people would call closed communion. At least I would be. And I follow Pastor Spencer's position on that as well. This church has for a while now been closed communion. The, the two ordinances, the reasons I've just given you, it's written to a local church. First, there's a level of accountability mentioned here and that their interactions with each other either qualified or disqualified them from taking the supper. And if there's no accountability, then, and then there are no conditions. 
And, and so that really starts to give us an idea. But the other part is what I mentioned at the beginning, and that the two ordinances um, are baptism and the Lord's Supper. And baptism, again, is the ordinance of a relationship. It's the ordinance that pictures our relationship with Christ. It pictures our relationship with his local church. We're a part of it. We're committing to it. We've been saved. And if you've been saved, baptism pictures that relationship. And it identifies you both with Christ and with that local church. And you only have to do that once. But communion, the Lord's table, table, the Lord's supper is about fellowship. Meaning it implies that our fellowship is right. And, and our fellowship, not just with Christ, although that's a big part of it, but if you read 1 Corinthians 11, your fellowship with your local church must be right for you to take it. Yeah. And so if that's the qualification, then I don't know how you have a standard of accountability with someone who's not part of a local church to be engaged in the Lord's Supper. There's a condition then, and listen, I'm not trying to be... I'm not trying to be exclusive. I'm, this is not a secret club. But it's written to a local church. There are qualifications or conditions when ye come together. And because the Bible doesn't explicitly say, well, here are those that can be involved. I just take, okay, who does Paul say is involved? Well, it's a local church. And it's about fellowship. It, it implies that you're in good standing with Christ. It implies that you're in good standing with your local church. And if not, make it right before you partake. So if the qualification for partaking in the Lord's Supper is good standing, a fellowship within a church body, it seems safest to me then to limit those who participate to that church body. That would be the reason that I would hold to what many would call closed communion in which Eastside members are those that participate. Others might would take a close communion stance and that they allow other members of other independent Baptist churches of like faith to partake. And that is a decision that's up to each church and pastor. And I, again, I know men and love men that hold that position. And because I draw a little bit of a tighter line doesn't mean that I break fellowship with those men at all. I, I men that I respect have that position. Um, I just go with what I feel is the safest position and what I feel is most explicitly defensible from God's word. Others might be called what you say, might, would say open communion, which that would mean that they open it up to anybody who is saved. And there are some who open it up to anybody who wants to come and take it. And that's a much more difficult position scripturally to defend, in my opinion. I mean, if, if, you're, if Paul was saying that your qualification for taking it is that you have, uni, you have unity with your local church and someone's not a part of a local church at all, or someone has never claimed to be saved even at all, I think that that position is much more indefensible. It seems harder to defend. Um, any or, an ordinance applies to unity of doctrine, um, and in the same way that baptism identifies with doctrine, the Lord's Supper does too. And, and I do think it's important that, that, we, that we keep it to a local church belief system, the, the, our set of doctrines. And if Paul gave warnings about those being in open sin, coming to the Lord's table, then having no check at all in terms of salvation or baptism or doctrinal position, it just is hard to defend, in my opinion. That's, where I, that's why I land where I land when it comes to the Lord's Supper, and I hope that you understand that. Uh, whatever a church's position on the Lord's Supper is, understand this, to partake in the Lord's Supper, every member must be in proper fellowship with their church, with the Lord, and with one another. And if those are the qualifications, that means there's a relationship in a community. 
So if it's a matter of being in good standing of fellowship, let me wrap this up and ask you, are you? Are you in, a, in, a, are you in good standing? And I'll ask it this way, are you supper ready? Because if we ever get to the place where we think, well, I don't want to take the Lord's Supper unworthily, so I better confess my sins this week, then we have missed the point of the Lord's Supper. You know, when our kids come in from outside, if they've been playing and it's time to eat, they come in and they sit down. What do you, what, what's one of the first questions, parents, you ask your kids? Have you washed your hands? Have you, have you taken a trip through the, the hand sanitizer room? We need to just douse your whole body because you smell like outside, okay? That's what I want to say sometimes. You've been playing hard. Well, at least wash your hands, right? That, that's our way of saying, are you supper ready? And if you haven't washed your hands, you're not supper ready, so in the same way, I'm asking, are you supper ready? Because this is not a confession of sin and being right with the Lord, right with each other, right with your church. is not just a one time a year, if that's when we do it, or three times a year, if that's when we do it. No, we are to be supper ready at all times. If there's something between you and another member of Eastside Baptist Church, if you're not supper ready, then, then get supper ready. If you've got unconfessed sin in your life and you're not supper ready, confess your sin and get, get supper ready. Uh, um, th- these are meant to remind us of how sober we should be about the Lord's Supper. It's not uh, meant to keep members out. It's, it's, it's meant to have a purifying effect. Meaning you need to be reminded to be supper ready. And if, if communion is coming up, am I ready? But more than that, am I always ready? I mean, uh, honestly, I, I try... To, I try to be supper ready before every service. And I think you ought to as well. Every time you approach the Lord, you should start with, God, please, I'm, I have church in 30 minutes. Would you please help me? These things, I have, and not just that. I mean, you should be supper ready every day. There should be a time in your walk with God every morning, every night, whenever it is that you get supper ready, you confess your sins, you get right with God, you have things clear between you and him. Don't let the sins stack up and then wait till the end and just kind of confess them all. No, as they come, every one, every day, confess them. Keep a short account with God. I had a Bible college professor that said that to us a lot. So I'm asking, have you made things right with God and others? Are you supper ready at all time? Fellowship is an ongoing priority in a local church. So why would we not be concerned about it at all times? Not just communion. A carnal and selfish spirit, a self-focused mindset, it's never the right way to approach your church family. We should be supper ready whether it's supper time or not. Paul told them their divisions they, they meant that they were coming together for the worse, not for the better. And so if the Lord's Supper is a sign of fellowship, okay, baptism is a sign of relationship, Lord's Supper is a sign of fellowship among a church body, that means we should strive for that level of unity always. And the, the death of Christ did more than just prepare us to show his death during the Lord's table. We're to display the death of Christ every day. We die to ourselves daily. And that should be a part of our lives every day. Every, with our interactions with each other should always keep us supper ready. Every word that we say to each other, every word we say about each other, every look we give each other, every interaction we have with each other, every ministry in which we serve together, unity, fellowship, common ground. The Lord's Supper can't be properly taken without those things. But I just say, let's just be supper ready at all times. Let's be the kind of church that, you know, we don't let it all stack up and then we confess it and let, you know, God comes and cleans it all, you know, one time a year. No, let's do it every day. 
Um, sometimes, honestly, every hour. I mean, every, every, a few times an hour. Be supper ready. And I submit to you the Christian life can't be properly lived um, without confession of sin on a regular basis. Don't just wash your hands before supper. Make it a daily habit. Let's show the effects of the Lord's death every day in our workplaces and in, 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 in our, our communities. And they would, that, you know, if we say, well, we only need to do it when, it, when it's time. No, that'd be like saying, I only need to brush my teeth if I'm going to be around people. Which, I mean, you should, by the way. But no, not just for the sake of being around people. You don't just brush your teeth for the sake of social standing. Although, again, you should. But you brush your teeth for the sake of your teeth. I mean, it, so... I hope you get that illustration in that it's not just about how it appears or how it smells to somebody else. It's about protecting your teeth, taking care of yourself, because if you don't, it will destroy your teeth. So in the same way, confession of sin, being supper ready, being right with people, being right with God, having our sins confessed is not just about the Lord's Supper. It's to be done every day. If we don't, it will destroy us. Letting those sins stack up is really, it's damaging. So there it is. That's the second ordinance, the Lord's Supper. And I guess the application would be, are you supper ready at all times? Don't, not just when it's time for Lord's Supper, but all times. Is there something between you and another member? Is there disunity in your heart? Is there a spirit of, of criticism? Is there, is there something that you know you should make right, but you haven't? Not just with other people, with the Lord, within this local church. Let's make sure that we're always supper ready. It's a good way to live, not just for the Lord's Supper. All right, let's stand. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Give me an opportunity to respond tonight. And, and I hope that you have seen that the Lord's Supper, as academic as this information is, it should make a difference. Uh, to know that we should be supper ready at all times, that should impact us today. And if there are there sins unconfessed in your life that you haven't made ready, you're not supper ready. And if you had the Lord's Supper, you'd be taking unworthily, which is a big deal. So I'm asking, have you made, uh, have you made confession a daily part of your life? Um, are you revealing to the world at work, in, in your workplace, at, in the community, at stores? Are you revealing the death of the Lord and the effect of, its li- of it in your life every day? It's not just a one-time-a-year thing. This should be a daily ongoing process every day in our lives let's be supper ready father pray that you'd help lord tonight to speak to our hearts through your word open up our minds help us to see where we might have fallen short in this area of keeping things right on a regular basis god help us never get to the place where we let the sin stack up and we only confess it when it's necessary no lord it's always necessary our fellowship is dependent on it help us to be right in every way help us to be supper ready In Jesus' name, amen. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.